0: Listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at bethanynaz.org.
1: Good morning. So, you know what today is? It's the uh, senior, it's the uh, rather U.S. Open championship in golf. Anybody watch golf much? So, I don't know for sure what all of those golfers are actually chasing in their lives. Some are chasing their first win. Some are chasing a top 10 finish. Some are chasing the first major win. This is a major today. Do you know what the check is if you win the tournament today? Do you know how much money the winner makes? Just under $2 million to win a golf tournament. Second place wins just over $1 million. Would that help you in your finances at all? A couple million bucks in the bank account? Everybody is chasing something. And those guys on tour are chasing a win. So, we've been in this conversation starting last week about money. And here's what Paul says. You don't want to chase money. I mean, there's a lot of danger if you chase money. So, he says things like this in the passage that we read last week. He says, You brought nothing into this world when you came. And when you leave, you're not taking anything with you when you go. That's just the way it is. And he he seems to kind of throw up this warning signal in that paragraph that we shared last week. He says... Those of you who want to get rich, man, you can fall into a trap and you can come to real destruction. Those of you who love money, it's the root of all evil. Those of you who are eager for money, a lot of grief can come in your way. It can really threaten your relationship with Jesus. And what he's saying is, is that loving money and following Jesus aren't compatible. You can't love money and follow Jesus. So one day, Jesus is with his disciples. And he says to them something very similar to what we read last week. If I have food, if I have clothing, I'll be content with that. And we all kind of struggle and we say, well, what kind of food are we talking about? And what kind of clothing are we talking about? And Jesus says to the disciples, you should not worry. Well, Jesus, what is it that you say I should not worry about? And Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. But what you should do is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And God will take care of all of those things. Now, think with me just a minute here. In the passage today, we are being challenged to not chase money. But as followers of Jesus, we are being challenged to chase after Godliness and righteousness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. So let me take you to the Word of God this morning, okay? You got a Bible or you can use the one in front of you or we'll put the words in screen, on the screen to First Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading with verse 11, okay? 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 11. Now, Paul is saying to Timothy, whatever you do, you want to run from these people who are trying to get rich, and they're using the gospel as a way to get rich, okay? And here's what he says in verse 11, but you, okay, so this is a private letter unlike most of Paul's other letters. So when Paul would write a letter, he would write it to like a congregation or maybe many congregations thinking... They're going to read it, then they're going to pass it to the next church, they'll pass it to the next church. This letter is different. He's writing to one person, an individual, a young man, who he is mentoring in his faith, and his name is Timothy, okay? And he says, but you, Timothy, man of God, flee from all of this, meaning the love of money. And here's what you should run toward. If you're going to run from that, run toward this. This is what you should pursue. Pursue righteousness. And godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And now he says in the sight of God. Who gives life to everything. And of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you. Keep the command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody ever met a president, a standing president? Just raise your hand really high if you've ever met a standing president. I got... Charlie, you met a president once. Anybody else ever met a president? Am I just not seeing? I got a feeling... Somebody back there. When when a president of the United States walks into the room... Everybody stands. It's a big deal. It's a big appearance. Interestingly, what Paul does is he uses language here to talk about Christ appearing and to talk about God with the language that had been assigned to the appearing of the emperor. Okay? The Caesar. The emperor of Rome. And he doesn't just kind of do it once, but he kind of rubs it in. People believed the guy was divine and so they believed they were not only having a visit from the head of state, but they believed that they were having divine revelation. And so he talks about God with this language. Um, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is not language unique to the New Testament writers. This is language that was assigned to the emperor who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. This is God's word for us today. There's a guy in the Bible. His name's Solomon. And Solomon said, in the book of Ecclesiastes, I've been chasing stuff all of my life. So he makes this list. It's kind of interesting. He says, I chased pleasure, laughter, wine. I'm thinking surely alcohol is going to make me happy. I mean, it's going to alter something, right? Just drink a lot. So I did. I I had a lot to drink. I built houses. He's talking about palaces. He was a king. He had lots of money. I built reservoirs, I built parks, I built vineyards. I got a lot of wealth. I had more flocks and herds than anybody. I amassed silver and gold. I mean, I just got as rich as you can rich. I just got all excited about making money. I hired singers to sing for me. What if you were just rich enough you would just say, Come here and sing for me. Play your violin, entertain me, do something. And he said, I also had a harem. You know what a harem is? It was his way of saying, over the years, I slept with a lot of women. And I'm not talking about my wives. And so I just kind of filled my life with alcohol, and I filled my life with women, and I filled my life with money. I just chased everything that I could chase. And finally one day I just woke up and I just said, you know what, this is all meaningless. This is not making me happy. This is not helping anything. He said, it's like I was chasing the wind. You ever try to chase the wind? Run out today, you're in Oklahoma, there's plenty of wind. Just go chase the wind, see if you can catch it. He said, I didn't catch anything. See, I think everybody's chasing something. So, look me in the eye for just a minute. Would you do that? I'm just going to scan the crowd. Just look at me and let me just ask you this question right now. Okay, you ready? What are you chasing? You chasing love? Is that what you want? You chasing lust? Is that what you want? Are you chasing a career? Are you chasing money? Are you chasing success? Are you chasing happiness? Are you looking for meaning in life? Are you trying to chase your dreams? Are you chasing goals? Because everybody in the room, I promise you, every one of us, we're all chasing something. And what happens in the passage that I read to you is Paul says, Man, you got to think hard about what you're chasing. So last week I reminded you that Mark brings Jesus onto the scene onto the stage of world history and instantly jesus says behold the kingdom of god is near i know that you are citizens of the kingdom of this world like you and i are citizens of the united states of america but he said there is another kingdom the kingdom of god the community of god and the values in the community of god are very different than the values of the kingdoms of this world okay and what we value is not money we don't love money We're not eager for money. We're not trying to get rich. What we love is godliness and righteousness and faith and love and gentleness and endurance. Those are the values of the community of God. Those are the things that really matter to us. And often the things that are important to us in the community of God are in conflict to the things that are important to people in the kingdom of the world. So I read a story this week. Let me share it with you, okay? There was a guy who was a banker, a wealthy guy, and he went to a small coastal village to vacation. And so one day he walks down to the pier and he sees a fisherman coming in on a very small little fishing boat. And when the boat comes in, the banker looks down and he sees a few yellow Thin tuna, and he compliments the little villager on his catch. Pretty nice catch, he said. Thank you. He said, "How long did it take you to catch those fish?" And the villager shrugs and says, "Not very long at all." And he says, "Oh, what, what, what will you do with your rest of your day? How, how, how do you spend your day here in the village?" And he says, "Well, I like to sleep late, and then I go fish for a little while, and I make enough fish to meet the needs of my family, and then I like to play with my kids." They love it when I'm home with them. In the afternoon, though, I always take a nap. And then after dinner, my wife and I will stroll through the village. I usually bring my guitar, and we stop along with friends, and we often sing together and talk. I have a very full life here in the village. And the banker said, let me challenge you. And he says, challenge me? What if you fished more than just a little bit every day? And what if with the proceeds you bought a bigger fishing boat? And, and after you have this bigger fishing boat, what if maybe with the proceeds from the bigger boat you bought like many boats, like a fleet of boats? And what if you bypassed the middleman and you went straight to the processor? And what if one day you opened your own cannery and you left this little village and you moved to a city and you run your business from there? And the villager said, how long would that take? And he says, 15, maybe 20 years. And he said, then what would I do? He said, that's the great part. You see, you would sell your business. You would retire. You would move to some little coastal fishing village. And you would sleep late and fish a little and then spend time with your kids and take a nap in the afternoon and in the evenings you could walk along with your wife with your guitar and sing with your friends. And the fisherman smiled at the businessman and gathered his catch and quietly walked away. I I think that's what Paul is trying to get at here. I mean, I just just watch the way that we live life. And we're just chasing something as hard as we can chase it. And I don't think there's times when we even know what we're chasing. Or what the payback is going to be when we catch it. And so Paul believes that spirituality and following Jesus involves what we actually do with our lives. Physically, with our bodies and our minds and our lives. Paul believes that spirituality that following jesus involves what we actually do with our lives and so paul says here's what you should do with your life okay you should flee the temptation to love money that's what you should do you should run from that as hard as you can run you should just turn around and just go into a dead sprint and just run as far from that as you can run from that because that is a very dangerous path to walk on okay when I think about the word flee, running from things, I think there's probably many people in the room, different sections, groups of people, who would say, there's something I need to run from. And, and very well, some of you may say, Rick, you, you nailed me this morning. Paul nailed me. I, I love money more than I should love money, and I need to run from loving money. Is that what you need to run from? Is there anybody in the room that says, there is somebody I should run from? There is a person in my life right now who is not good for me. It's not a good influence. It's not God honoring and I should turn around and I should run from that person. Is there an addiction that you should run from? Is this morning God saying to you, you should turn around and you should go into a dead sprint and you should just run from that as hard as you can run from it? And so here's the picture that you get. It's not only a person who says, I am running from that as hard as I can run, but you are running to something that is really good to you. So I'm going to run away from something that's really bad for me, that's dangerous for me, and I'm going to run to something that is really good for me. And he says, here's what you do. You run from the love of money, but you pursue. I mean, you run. You go after godliness. So this week I got to sit down with a group of guys, young guys, in a small group. And I got this list of questions that I was supposed to ask them. And so one of the questions was, what do you really want God to do in your life? And so I look at these freshman guys, some, some great guys. I love spending time with them this week. And I looked at them and I said, so what is it that you want God to do in your life? And so we kind of went around the circle. And after we did, one of them looked at me and said, so what about you, Rick? What do you want God to do in your life? And I looked at those six freshman boys and I said to them, I want to be a godly man. It was from the sermon last week. God got a hold of me with those words. This idea of an attitude that says I want to live my life to honor and to please God and the attitude is so deeply entrenched in my heart that it affects the way that I behave and I say no to this and yes to this because it honors God and I'm going to live a life, a godly life a life that honors God that says whatever you want me to do, I want to do I just said I think my wife deserves a godly husband I think my kids deserve a godly father. I think this church deserves a godly pastor. I want to be a godly man. That's what I want. I want to join with Paul and say, I don't want to get rich. I don't love money. I'm not eager for money. But I want to be a godly man. That's what I want. That's what you should chase. Chase. Run from the values of this world and run toward godliness. Run toward gentleness. Run toward endurance. Run toward righteousness. Run toward love. Run toward faith. You run toward those things. That's what you want to grab a hold of. Anybody watching a game tonight? Yeah? So just a show of hands... I'm just curious. How many are saying, I am pulling for the Cavs? I've got a small number of Cavs fans in this room. All right, Golden State. A few more Golden State fans. See, the way that I think about it is, if, if Golden State beat the Thunder in the semifinals... And they're going to win it. At least we can say the team who beat us won it all, right? I mean, that helps a little bit, I think. So when Paul says these words, fight the good fight, you know what he's doing? He's using a term with the word fight that does not mean military combat, all right? Do you know what the word is all about? It's all about an athletic contest, okay? So, so this word that Paul uses for fight the good fight is not something that you would look at in a military combat. It's in a, it's in a, it's in a athletic contest. And so, he is saying, "Here you are. You got to play this game to win. I'm, I mean, you got to be competitive. You got to bow up. You got to bring it. You got to say, you know what? I am not here to make a show and then leave. I am here to win." Now now, often on Sunday mornings we do baptisms and when we do there's a group of people usually sitting right here and I ask them a question. I say, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now? And you know what they all say in unison together? They all say, I do. Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul says to Timothy, do you remember when you said that, when you made that good confession? And we think he's talking about at his baptism. He says, do you remember, Timothy, when you said, Jesus Christ is Lord at your baptism? On that day, you gained eternal life. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to run from the values of this world. I want you to pursue godliness and righteousness. I want you to lay hold of that eternal life that you were given at your baptism. And I want you to fight a good fight. It sounds like a lot of to-do stuff, doesn't it? But he also talks about who you should be. You live this life without spot or blame. Look at me for a second. When nobody's looking, when nobody sees me, when I believe nobody is watching, that's when you do the right thing anyway. I'm by myself. And nobody would know. But without spot or blame, that just simply means I'm going to do the right thing in that moment anyway. Can I show you a picture? Here we go. I I didn't think about you being here, Morgan. You probably hate me for that, don't you? You can take it down. Nobody should see that any longer. Would you trust your kids with that person right there? No. So one day I saw a wig and I put it on. took a picture and I thought it was awesome. I carried it on my phone. And I always show people, i say, here's my brother Terry. Have you ever met him? And my, my girls say, Dad, please, delete that picture. That's ridiculous. That's embarrassing. I, I think when you're a dad, you just do dumb things. You become a father, the dumb just kicks in. You just do stupid stuff. And the more your kids say, don't do that stuff, the more you just do that stuff. The more they say, you're really embarrassing us, please just stop. I remember once in a restaurant in a Cracker Barrel, you know how loud those places are? I sneeze so loud when I sneeze. I sneeze so loud the restaurant went dead quiet. And before the noise picked back up, my Morgan said, you embarrassed me so bad. And everybody in the restaurant laughed really loud. You just do dumb dad stuff when you're dad. It's Father's Day. Paul is writing to Timothy, the young man, about what it means to grow up into being a man, and this is the information he gives him. And I think sometimes as dads we just say we just don't get it right. We do dumb stuff, and sometimes we mess up in our lives, and sometimes we don't get it right with God. Let me tell you something. Paul writes to Timothy, and did you hear the first words that he said to him? But you, and what did he say? Man of God. And I'll bet when Timothy read those words, he kind of, you know, oh, Paul, don't call me that, okay? He's probably referring to his uh, Levitical lineage and his place in the worship temple, maybe. I remember one day I was in an assisted living place for a little reception. And this lady, I heard her saying to another lady, that's my pastor, he's come to see some of us. And she said, oh, I want to meet him. Take me to see the man of God. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't know that I like you calling me that. I don't know that I live up to that well enough. Paul is saying, Timothy, this is the potential God sees in you. Not by your own power, but this is what you can become. Do you believe that in God's Word, God consistently calls you to live a righteous and a godly life? He sees it in your future. He believes you can do it. Well, it's camping season, as Casey mentioned a minute ago. And over the last two weeks, we had over 180 students from our church go to camp. It was awesome to see all of those students heading off to camp to focus on their journey with God. I'll tell you what, when I look at the future of the church, I look right over here and right over here and kind of over back here. We have some incredible students. I mean, and, and we have a lot of students that are just getting better and better and better. Don't you agree? God is working in the lives of our kids. I'm proud of them. When I think about camp, I'm reminded of one time when I was younger and I was actually running church camps on a district down in Tennessee and. Morgan was just born and Brittany, our oldest daughter, was only five and a half when Morgan was born. And so I remember I was headed off to camp one summer and I look at my wife thinking she's got this little baby and a six-year-old. I just said, you know what, I should take Brittany with me. It's too much for you to juggle these two kids. Morgan was so small. I said, why don't I just take Britt with me to camp? She'll be fine. I'll have a room to myself and the students are great with Brittany. They'll love her and they'll help take care of her. And so we did. Brittany and I go off to camp together. And we had a blast. Now, we were doing cutting-edge stuff at those camps. We had a camera that actually had a VCR tape in it that we were recording on, okay? This, the tape in it was this big of a square. And the camera was like this. And you set it on your shoulder, and you had another battery pack that you wore on this shoulder. I'm not making any of this up. I mean, cutting-edge stuff. We were, and we would do a video all week. Not a lot of editing, but at the last night, we would show the video. And we would put really cool, hip Christian music to it, like... Friends are Friends Forever by Michael W. Smith. I mean, all the cutting edge stuff, right? And so I remember that last night, Brittany had loved it at Head Camp, and we're watching this video, and here's the way the video ends. It was probably 30 minutes. It ended like this, and everybody's watching themselves. It was awesome. We didn't have video like we have now, so it was kind of a neat thing. And, And the way it ends is that Brittany and I had no idea the guy was filming us, but we are walking down the sidewalk away from him, and we're holding hands, and we're swinging arms like this as we walk away. And it's just us, you know, just walking away for the last 10 seconds of the video with this great music behind us. I loved it. I've tried to find it over the last few years. I wanted to show it to Brittany at her high school graduation. And I called Darren Brown and said, Do you remember making videos for us at camp? Do you have them? And he goes, I don't have them anymore. So the day after that night, we're headed home, getting in the car to leave. And Brittany just cries, six years old. Daddy, I don't want to go home. I want to stay. I said, Brittany, we got to go home. She goes, Daddy, it was the best. She's just crying. And I said, Oh, Britt, you're breaking my heart. And she said, You know on that video last night when men, you were holding hands, swinging arms, walking away, just having a good old time? I said, Yeah. She said, That was the best. I said, It was the best. So over the years, if I ever reach over and take Brittany's hand when we're walking along, she'll say, here we are, just walking along, having a good old time, aren't we, Dad? The other day she sent me a text. And she said, Tim and Sadie, Sadie's her little girl, Tim and Sadie walking along, just having a good old time. And here's the picture. You want to fight for something? Fight for that, right? You want to pursue something in life? Pursue that. You want to fight for something that has real value? A lot more value than money. You fight for those kinds of relationships. You, O man of God. Go after that stuff. You know what I'd love to do today. Since it's Father's Day, I, I would love to pray for the dads who are here. And so Ben's going to come. I'll ask you to stand if you don't mind. And uh, when we start singing in a minute, I would just say to you, um, if you're a dad and you're comfortable, yeah, go ahead and stand. If you're comfortable coming down and letting me pray for you, I would love to let you know how much I value you today. And and you're like me, you probably feel like you don't get it right often enough and you make a mess along the way, and you probably do, but God sees potential in you that you probably don't see in yourself. And the reason he calls you to this life is because he knows that because of the power of his Holy Spirit working in you, you can live this life. So we're going to sing, and as we sing, if if you don't mind coming down and kneeling, I'd love to just pray for you this morning. That would be my desire.
0: Through the dark, through the narrow, in the old.
1: Father, when we think about uh, our lives as men, um, the enemy has held everything you can imagine in front of us to try to get us to chase it. And for many of us, there have been seasons in our lives when we have chased after those things. And today we come into your house and we open your word. And you remind us that as followers of Jesus, there are things that are really worth chasing. To be able to leave this world one day and my kids say he was a godly man, there would be nothing greater. Or to say that my dad was gentle or he was righteous full of faith, full of love. Those are the things that matter. So Lord, in our own strength, we, we don't feel like we're ever capable of attaining those kinds of things. We feel like we just continually fall short. And so that's why I pray today, by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us, Help us to attain the calling that you've placed on our lives. Because truly as husbands, as dads, you've you've called us to a unique place in life. And our calling is different. And help us to honor that. Now there's a doxology in our scripture this morning. I want to close with it, okay? Okay here's what it says to god the blessed and only ruler the king of kings and lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to him be honor and might forever amen a big amen 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 god bless you